This morning, the scripture portion for our, pardon me, consideration is Hebrews 9, just two verses, 27 and 28. We live in a day which is full of uncertainty. There is not a surety that could probably be trusted, except, and it's of those four certainties or sureties that I wish to preach this morning. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, or that eagerly await him, shall he appear the second time apart from sin, that's what without sin, apart from sin unto salvation. In other words, you'd be coming the second time, not for the purpose of dying for sin, but for the purpose of collecting all his children, wherever they are, unto the reality, the experience of their salvation. Father, we pause to thank you for your precious word. Lord, we're thankful for all of the goodness and mercy that you've shown us. We thank you, Father, that we have thy word and that your Holy Spirit can open our hearts and minds that we might understand it. Give us that blessing this morning. Preach through me according to thy will. Give me clarity and plainness, Father, and, and to add to or take away from the message whatever is pleasing to thee, we might have exactly what you would have us to have. Speak to the hearts of the youngest, to the oldest, Father. Open our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit of God. Apply that according to thy will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we said, life is filled with uncertainty. None of us knows but what in the human realm, the earthquakes that come and take people, the hurricanes that destroy property and homes. We have friends who uh, don't treat us the way they should. They are our friends, and yet in the next few days they've brought a lawsuit against us, or they have done something, broken some promise or some faith that we thought that they ought to have. There are times when our lives and property and families as the human race, it's uncertain. No one knows that they'll be able to go through a day no matter where you live or what's taking place. I remember we were down close in Columbus there on High Street. I think it was near Lazarus, if I remember right, when the the front or the center of the street caved in. I think a Mercedes went down into it, sticking out of it. That was a, something you weren't looking for as you drove along, and suddenly that kind of thing happened. So there are very few things that are certain. You can't count on business. You can't count on your home. You can't count on your nest egg or whatever it might be uncertainty may overcome any one of those. We may lose our health. We may lose a great many things. In fact, everyone today is looking for certainty. The older people, as well as the younger, who are investing money for retirement, they want something that's fairly certain and it's not going to fail and cost them money or to lose what they have saved. Others are looking for stocks or bonds or investments or some way. Al Jolson, as well as I liked his voice when he died, he wanted a perpetual flame and a perpetual grave site to himself forever. It won't be there forever, I guarantee you that. The flame will go out. Mr. Kennedy's flame will go out. Nothing is certain. So now that we've established that in our mind, which we knew, I just want to stir up your minds by way of remembrance so you might think of it. There are four sureties that we can count on. Indeed, we must know. Two of them we can escape. Two of them are very unpleasant. Three, actually. 
And God has set them down for us just in these two verses. They are something that's sure. It's not a maybe they'll happen. Perhaps. It's an absolutely positively, just as surely or surer than me standing here. These things will happen. They're unchangeable. God will not change them. Nothing will change them. They remain the same. What's the first surety or certainty, if you like to say? As it is appointed unto men once to die. Death. The second certainty, but after this, the judgment. The third certainty, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And the fourth certainty, to those who eagerly wait for him. I'm translating a little looser translation because it's more accurate. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Apart from sin, unto salvation. Four certainties we want to look at this morning before we're finished. And the first one is the fact that every man, woman, boy, or girl that has lived, does now live, or shall live until the end of all things, have an appointment with death. We, most of us, realize that. We don't like to think about it. I run into people who just refuse to talk about it, who simply will not even consider what's going to take place. But it's appointed unto men once to die, and then the second appointment, the judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die. That once to die tells us, and all reincarnationists, if they would, that a man only dies once in the flesh. The worst thing that can happen to him is he dies twice, second death, in the lake of fire. But for every human, every bit of flesh upon the first of the face of the earth, they die once. There is no reincarnation. Hindus, there are even, even some American Baptists who believe in reincarnation. Other people, they say you don't do it right this time, you do it in the next life. Karma comes down and straightens you out. And as you go from life to life, you get so you do it right eventually, and you enter that great plane. Not so. If we had to come back and do it again and again till we got it right, we'd never stop. We'd go for an eternity in that cycle. It does not exist. It's not there. It's appointed unto man once to die. I can imagine sometimes some reincarnationists and others will say, wait a minute, I don't believe this. Well, it doesn't make a difference whether they believe it or not. It's going to take place. God says so. I believe that. You believe that. Blessed are you as well. All of us have an appointment with death. Now, there is no second chance. Kim isn't here this morning. She wanted a couple of books on the Jehovah's Witness. I have a couple of them here for her. One of the great things they believe is that there is no burning torment of hell. It's really a place of rest and hope because all the people in the world will be resurrected in the end and then all those who are Jehovah's Witness will be given a chance or not Jehovah's Witness to become a Jehovah's Witness or they'll be annihilated. I'm gone if that were the case. But it is not. All of us have an appointment. We may not know when that appointment is, but it's an appointment we'll all keep. Some of us here may live and die early in our youth. Some in their 80s or 90s, but the thing is, we're all going to die someday. Howard Hughes thought that wasn't possible, but the Lord showed him that it was, and he did it in just a, a relatively short period of years. If he lived 100, I might have thought that maybe some of his techniques helped him, but of course, they did not. Science, with all its miracle drugs, with all its high-tech machinery, everything that it has to keep people from death, I want to tell you, I believe in taking vitamins and exercise, but no amount of exercise, no amount of vitamins, no amount of changing your lifestyle will keep you from dying. It might help you. You might feel better, but it won't keep you from dying. When that day comes, 
at its appointed, then God takes us. I want you to notice way back in the book of Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8, God settles it once and for all. I thought about giving my doctor this portion of scripture because he is in Christian circles, but knowing him, I don't think he would appreciate it. It says, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. So first part of that verse says, there's no man that has power over that to retain it, to keep living. He can't control his spirit leaving the body, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. In other words, it goes on and people live and die throughout the entire cycle of this world, however long that may be. If it ends at 8,000 years old or 10 or whatever the case may be. How old is it now? Well, I believe it's six to 8,000 years, but I believe what the Bible says. What else? Goes on to say, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. I can imagine that God thought many people will read that. Will think, but I've heard of people who have sold their soul to the devil. I've served the devil. He's given me a lifetime. Many of you in college or high school have read uh, Dr. Faust and Mephistopheles, the devil and how he sold his soul to the devil. It just doesn't work. No man can retain his soul when the day of death comes. When Adam, who was the first man, as you well know, sinned against God, he and all his children were cursed with death. How do I know that? Genesis 3.17. Let's not look at the New Testament. Let's go clear back to the original act. And in Genesis 3 and 17, listen to what God said. You remember that, of course, Eve was beguiled by the devil, and she even added to Scripture. She said, oh, we're not to look at it or touch it. God didn't say that. And then she told Adam how beautiful it was, and Adam should have said, you know, that's a sin. You have to repent of this. I can't take that. He said, okay, and he had a big bite of the apple too. And then when the chips were down, so he shared the problems with her, he said, my wife made me do it. Sometimes it hasn't changed these days, has it? Still happens among some. Listen to what God says in Genesis 3.17. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. See how fair God is? He said, because you hearkened to the voice of the serpent. He didn't. Because you hearkened to the voice of your wife and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat it. Terrible thing right here. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow or toil. Think about that. Thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Life? That's a new concept. Adam and Eve would have lived forever. But they disobeyed God. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Think about that. A curse on the ground. Brother Metzger testified to you that he doesn't have any trouble growing thistles and weeds and thorns. They can even come up without him planting them. They're there. Plus, we have the curse set across all the land in so many different ways. You know, when Jesus comes back, the millennial kingdom, that'll change. But for the time being, it's an absolute. Until God redeems that which is his. We all die because what? We're children of Adam. And his, he is our father, federally. When he sinned, his descendants received that same bent of sinning. And so we are sinners by nature and by choice. 
David says they go forth from the womb speaking lies. Well, who taught those babies to lie? Who taught them to do things that are opposition to good? Nobody. They had the bent. And later on, they learned by choice to do those things that are not right. I've told you this example before, I guess. I don't know if I was six or seven. Might have been eight years old. My grandfather took me over to a fruit stand, fruit place. Shevel was the man's name. My mother will remember him because we bought a lot of fruit there in Wisconsin. And while he was there, he had a, a they, they measured from the scales that hung, had a mirror in it. I didn't know that. So when he turned his back, I just decided to take some grapes. And I ate them. And he came back. I'll never forget that after all these years. That's almost 48, 49 years ago. And he said, little boy, you know my name. He said, if you'll just ask me for those, I'll give them to you. But he said, it's wrong to steal. That's wrong. And you know, that got me so bad that I remember that all those years. I needed that. Well, that's what we need to teach our children. The right and the wrong of things as we go along. Because we'll find that they are sinners by choice as well as by nature. Now, since no ordinary human being is innocent before God, since all are sinners deserving death and none can survive the judgment of God on his own, we can't. Then what does Romans 6.23 tell us? It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's the wage. Second death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when you and I have his place, he died in our stead, that's not our wage. God will pay us wages according to what we've done. He gives to every man, woman, boy, or girl according to their works, whatever that might be. If it's bad, it's bad. If it's good for you and I are Christians, it is reward and so on. God's merciful to those that he loves. He sent Christ to die on the cross for his people. Who are they? I don't know. I just know that they're out there. I know that not everybody is going to receive the gospel when it's preached or when you witness to them, but I know there's some going to. And so I must do that. And Christ so loved us that he brought life through himself. Romans 5 and verse 6. <clears throat> Let me read it to you. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, and in due time there in the Greek means at the right time, just like Christ came when the fullness of time was come. So he says, when we were yet without strength, when the right time came, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure perhaps... For a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love. What are we saying? He commended his love. He admonishes, he demonstrates his own love. How? Towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. Saved from God's wrath, of course. In the little book of 1 Thessalonians that we have been going through, we find in the 5th chapter and the ninth verse, For God hath appointed us, what? Not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, all of you that I've died for, wherever you are, whoever believes, whoever comes to him and is quickened by the Spirit of God, you don't ever taste my wrath. It's gone. And God's going to bring wrath upon this earth in the near future. The tribulation and the trouble that's coming will be so bad that even the elect would be deceived if that could be so. No flesh would be saved if God didn't shorten the time. But we're not appointed to that. 
Those who believe in Christ are not appointed to wrath, but to salvation, eternal happiness. Why? Because he loved us. I wish I could say because he saw I would believe and because he thought that I might do this or that and because he loved me. I don't know. It's unconditional. He didn't say, John, this, this, and this be true in your life. Yeah, okay. Take him in. I'm totally without anything. I can't recommend myself to salvation. I'm totally depraved. That doesn't mean you do as bad as you could ever do. It simply means that your entire being is depraved and restraints keep you from doing the worst that you would do. And we get the idea that people who are not saved have no conscience. Oh, but they do. They've got a conscience. They have moral values. I don't have time to get into that right now. What does it mean to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? It means simply to understand what the Bible says about Christ, what it says about us to accept that. And Jesus is both God and man. I'm just man, and this body's failing. Things go wrong with it, and it doesn't work right, and it just causes no end to problems and troubles and all that sort of thing. But Christ was perfect. Merle and, and uh, Ralph and I were talking the other day, and I thought how great that would be to be like Moses. 120 years old, had all his faculties. Nothing was not working. Nothing been taken out, exchanged, removed, or whatever the case might be. Wouldn't that be great if we could do that? Sin is the reason that we have that problem. We've got a great sin burden at the beginning of time and sins increased and brought about all the diseases and problems that we have. So we being sinners cannot believe the gospel on our own power. Why not? Because of our depravity. The Spirit of God must convict us. The words preached to us. God shows us we receive the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved. For by grace are you saved, what? Through faith. That and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I read two new translations uh, this last week, and both of them took that verse and made a mess out of it. They took away God's sovereignty and they added man's. Don't buy any new translations unless it's something that's really close to what it should be. And if you want to know about your translation or one that you want to buy, I'll be glad to tell you about it. Not that I'm a genius, but I read about that all the time. I've seen the big sections of some of those New translations, they've taken out God's words and they put in their own paraphrase to help people understand. And believe me, they don't always help you to understand. Now I want you to notice also that Adam represented all of us. How do we know that? Because Romans 5 and verse 12 explains that to us. Listen to it. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Who was that? Adam. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. They have the bent towards it, and they will sin as quickly as possible. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. You see, God came and he gave the law. The law is our schoolmaster, the Bible says. It helps us to understand that we're committing sin against God. And physical death is one of the consequences of Adam's sin. Is that all? Second death, which is a spiritual death in the lake of fire. Secondly, we have an appointment or a, sur a surety with judgment. It says, as it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, some people seem unconcerned about death because they think that's the end. I've had people, I cannot tell you, I mean, I can think of several right now through the years that have told me when you're dead, you're dead. They dump you in the ground and you're cold and you stay that way. And some of you use not so nice language with me too. That's not true. Our mind doesn't cease because we die. 
coming a day when God will bring forth from the graves all those that can hear. And what will he do? He'll judge the wicked. You and I appear at the judgment seat of Christ and we shall have reward or loss of reward according to what we've done in the flesh. David, the greatest king of Israel, he understood the certainty of death. Psalm 103, 15. Let me read that to you because it's well worthwhile reading. It says this, As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. I never thought about it, but I guess we could draw quite an analogy from man being grass. He only has a season to live. Sometimes he's weak and dried out through the summer and part of him dies and the water refreshes him. And sometimes he's neat and combed and chemicals and outside influences have to be used upon him. Other times he's wild and woolly and he's Johnson and quack and everything else. For the wind passeth over it and what happens? It's gone. The place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon him, them that fear him and his righteousness under his children's children. Isn't that good? I like that. Job and some of the others tell us the same thing. Well, your appointment with judgment, I want to spend a few minutes on that. We'll run out of time. Many people believe that death is the end. Death is the beginning of eternal life. It is unto happiness and joy with the Lord or it is unto eternal and complete misery of the lost. Lost people, Revelation 20 is one of the most awesome chapters. I think that's the first message I ever preached in a conference in 70 sometimes, 75 or 6. Listen to what God says in verse 11. And I saw the, a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face, what happens? The earth and the heaven fled away. We're held there by God's power. Heaven and earth are gone. New heavens and new earth coming. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and in another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, plural, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How can God do that? By now the people in the sea are gone. People have been cremated are gone. Corpses that are buried four or five thousand years ago are gone. Nothing's too hard for God. He'll take care of it when the time comes. Christians, we shall all appear at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account in the flesh of what we've done, good or bad. Not for salvation, but for reward or loss of reward. God has a rule. He says, God will render to each one according to his deeds. You can find that in Jeremiah and several other places. He is fair, he's just, he's true. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. That's as true a thing as I can tell you. There won't be any variables. God will do it. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't grant parole for good behavior. And unfortunately for my brother and others who are strong Roman Catholics, they say that there is a purgatory. If you're Catholic, you've been a former Catholic, or you know about the Catholic religion, you know that when you die, 
that you go into purgatory and there you must pay for those sins. Suppose there's no such place as purgatory. It's in the mind of a heretic. Pope invented it when he was speaking ex officio, said that it's so. But according to Catholic doctrine, a person goes to purgatory. And then his family, depending on how much they love him, how much money they have, to have so many masses said to do alms or good works for him, have that accredited to his account or her account, and get them out of there. How much do they need? No one seems to know. However, I'm sure the church would like to see the size of your bank account and how much you may have if they have to go that far. Not so. There is no purgatory. Now, one way to guard around that, and I would tell, in fact, I'm going to tell my brother, I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to say, do you, you know the last time Pope John Paul said the last appearance of um, Our Lady of Fatima in Portugal, that she said if you would go five months for confession and masses and say the rosary so many times and wear her scapula underneath your clothing, that when you die, should you die suddenly or whenever, that she will come the next Saturday after your death and get you out of purgatory and take you directly to paradise. Well, if I believe that, I do that. I'd have one on this morning. Won't get it. Mary's not the co-savior of the world. Mary is an obedient handmaiden who was chosen and impregnated by the Holy Spirit. They say, oh, no, no, she had an immaculate conception. In fact, she was immaculately conceived. No one even knows who Mary's father and mother were. None of us have ever been immaculately conceived. There's no purgatory. We go into that place. And people who get into to hell may think, well, this must be purgatory. They're going to be sadly disappointed. But the good news is they get to leave. Do you know hell will be destroyed? Absolutely. And however long people have to stay there, they won't have to stay in hell forever. Hades, because I just read to you that death and Hades yielded up and they were destroyed. Well, what happens then? They're free and it feels a lot better now they go into the lake of fire. Into Gehenna. And there they suffer for an eternity. Now people say, 60, I saw this last night on television, I think it was last night, or this morning, I don't remember. Some of you may have seen it. It was a poll about what people believe. 60% of everyone said that they were going to heaven because they were good people. 60%, that's a, a large gullibility. Well, what do we mean by that? It means that God says, you can't. If we offend, James says in James 2 and 10, if we offend in one point of the law, we've offended at all. You either keep it perfectly or you don't. So that's not going to do us any good. And even when we do good things, guess what? God says in Isaiah, and I, I'll have to think about it, I think it's 64 and 6, you can look. He says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Not good. Well, what do we do? Christ's righteousness clothes us. He hung and bled on that cross and died for all of us who are saved and all who will be saved. That blesses me a great deal. Everything we've ever thought or done that was wicked or evil, he's paid for all of that. And now he says, here, here's my righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees not me and what I've done. He sees Christ's righteousness in yours as well. That means we can do what we want to do. Of course not. That's entirely the wrong attitude. Thirdly, I want to get finished with this. I want you to consider in those two verses we looked at in Hebrews, Christ's appointment with death. Did you know he had one? Absolutely. What would it be like for the Logos, the Son, to come down and be born as a baby and grow up and, and know all the things that we know as men, hunger and thirst and, and being persecuted and trouble and finally death? 
To me, one of the most cruelest deaths would be to nail a person on the cross, let them hang there and suffocate, give them vinegar, and, and Christ was was crucified naked. I believe that's what the scripture teaches. It'd be an awful and shameful thing, wouldn't it? Why'd he do it? Oh, it says, who for the joy that was before him despised the cross and the shame, but for the joy that was set before him. When is that? When we're all together throughout eternity. And he's purchased all of us. And there are hundreds of millions or whatever there'll be. And we'll all have something to do and a place to be. And it'll be perfect. He didn't deserve to die. He was sinless. Bible says, tested in all points as we are, yet without sin. Yeah, it's tough. I've been in some bad spots. I've been tested to the breaking point and broke sometimes. But he never did. He was perfect. And he died for his friends. Who are his friends? You and I. All those who will believe. If you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he paid our sin debt, which he did, God publicly has and will judge you innocent. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Walk after the spirit and not the flesh. He tells us that we are not capable of being condemned and so on. So if we believe that, because of what Christ has done for us, then we're justified already. And our innocence will be made public at judgment. And we'll know that there were the Lord Jesus Christ because of what Christ did for us almost 2,000 years ago on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem on a hill called Calvary, Golgotha. There before men, women, boys, girls, the centurions, the Roman legions, the Jews who said, crucify him, we'll take the blame. He's coming back and every eye shall see him at that second coming. And they'll mourn. Now, fourthly, as we close, there is another appointment. That's an appointment with Christ. An appointment with Christ, yes. It's been nearly 2,000 years, as I said, before the Lord Jesus, since the Lord Jesus Christ died and went above. Many laugh at the idea he'll return. It says over in Peter, there'll be scoffers in the last days that say, oh, when's this going to happen? Everything's been the same since my grandmother told me that. Well, whoop-de-doo, how long is that? Everything's been the same for 2,000 years since nobody. Can you remember your, your grandparents? Good. Your great-grandparents? Your great-great-grandparents? Fortunately, I can because we pay attention to family history. How about my great-great-great-grandparents? I don't even know their name. How about my great-great-great-great-great? We can't. We're lucky if we can remember 200 years ago. And people use that as, well, it's always been this way. We don't know what it's always been like. just want to point that out to our fallibility. The Lord himself, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, 17, he'll descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of the Lord, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They'll be changed. And we who are left alive on there will be changed and caught up with him to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Always. What happens to all the wicked who live here upon the earth? Beloved, I have friends and loved ones and others. If Christ comes today, they're lost. Unless the Lord speaks to them or changes them. What does he say? Well, in 2 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, before we close. I'm sorry, it's 4. It's 1 Thessalonians 4. 
and 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Why not? Because of the scriptures I just quoted to you. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. That's why we be sober. Sober doesn't always mean drunk in the Bible. The opposite of it, it means to be acutely aware of what's happening, where you are, the signs of the times, what's going to take place. And when he comes back, you'll have those who've gone on in Jesus. My grandmother and aunts and some uncles and, and um, Gordon's mother, everyone who's passed on, Louis, will meet them as we gather together in that place. That blesses me a great deal. But we have an appointment with Christ. What about all those who are not God's children? Well, I read to you in Revelation 20 what will happen to them. We're also told that the Lord Jesus Christ will come back with flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who believe not the gospel, on those who are without Christ. You know, it's a strange thing to me as we close. I want to say this to you, that there has been a portion of Scripture in Revelation that makes me marvel. When God, in the last half of the three and a half years of tribulation, the last three and a half, he brings the time of Jacob's trouble. Terrible things happen. Men are scorched because the earth is off its axis. They're covered with boils. They have darkness. They have many of the plagues a lot like Moses had, plus worse. A third of mankind dies. A third of the waters are bitter. A third of the green trees and grass are gone. Nuclear holocaust and so on, probably. And so you'd think what men would say, oh, God forgive us, we want to repent. And what they do. It says that they curse God for all the things that have happened. That's a terrible commentary, isn't it? Can you imagine being in that state? Yes. It'll be no worse than now. We have people everywhere that won't turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in the same state of affairs that they will be then. When all this shall be passed, then we have the joy of the righteousness of God and of what he has prepared for us. And I do want to give you one more scripture as we close. It's Revelation 21. Listen to what it says. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw what? The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's a city four square. Some estimates have been 11,000 miles, high, wide, and tall. Or whatever the Bible measurement is, it's big. It's four square. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. For God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Where do those tears come from? Judgment seat of Christ, some of them. And there will be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I'll insert this. Will we know who's not in heaven? Very possibly the judge and seat of Christ, we will. But for us to be in heaven and know that someone is not there would not be heaven. God says that he will wipe away the remembrance of all former things and we won't remember these times. Only together with each other throughout eternity. That's a great thing. We praise God for that.
May God add his blessing to the preaching of this message. Father, we commit these thoughts into your hands this morning. Lord, we do love thee because you first loved us. We're thankful for those who've gone on and we'll see again. Help us, every person here from the youngest to the oldest, to carefully consider the four certainties of this life. The fact of death, of judgment, of appearing before the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might take advantage of the third, that Christ died when the fullness of time was come. And only through and in him can we be saved and carried through eternity. We ask these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.